Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. Metro exists to exalt God and equip people. Here at Metro, we long to become a community that celebrates the presence of God, communicates the Word of God, demonstrates the love of God, and educates the people of God. Everything we do revolves around this core mission and vision. We are so glad you are here today to listen to this week's podcast. It is our prayer that this message encourages you and equips you to be like Christ in all aspects of your life. Enjoy today's message. What a joy this morning, church, uh, to be here together with you all. Amen. If you are here with your loved ones, uh, would you turn to them and say, would you turn to them and say, I love you very much. And, and so thankful to God that God gave us one more opportunity to worship Him together. You know, Jerry would definitely testify to us this morning, yes, it was tough, isn't it? And today morning, church, when we have breath in us, if we don't use that breath in us to give glory to God, Psalmist says in Psalm 150, verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So can we lift up our hands this morning and say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. With the, with the strength you have, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Church, that is not good enough. My, my voice is more amplified than you. Can, you. can you outdo me? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's good. That's even better. Amen. Good to see Kunjuman Uncle after a long time. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, this morning, uh, we'll continue in our journey in the book of Joel. Pastor Linson, last Sunday, uh, he took bail that it was him, it was me, not him, who decided to go through Joel. And in our church, uh, it's, been a, it's been quite a journey. I mean, um, I'll honestly confess with you, in 31 years of my ministry, never read Joel so many times before. But this last few weeks, I've been reading and rereading and rereading this book again and again and again. So I don't want you, I don't want to ask you to raise your hands if you have not read it. Um, I hope that you might have at least read it once. And uh, uh, so, so, so wonderful to see um, how the Lord continues to minister to us through his scriptures. As I told in the very first Sunday, as we were looking at Joel, I mean, uh, the, the period of Joel or the, the time framework of the prophecy is still difficult to pinpoint. It could be 4th century BC or it could be 8th century. So somewhere between 8th century to 4th century BC, nearly 400. That's uh, the general consensus that most biblical scholars have regarding his prophecy. There are those who say that since there is no king mentioned here, um, that's one of the biggest challenge. And the other thing is that the temple worship is the most important worship setting. So when you look at all those things, king is not mentioned. The temple worship is the most important thing. Um, so what period could it be? So there, are, there is a consensus which says that when Joash was a king in, uh, in, in Judah, there was a time of his conservatorship. He was not yet the king. He was still young. So some, you know, the priests were uh, taking the charge of the, of the kingdom at that time. So probably during that period, Joel wrote this prophecy. Or it could be definitely post-exilic when they came back because there were no longer kings in Israel. Uh, that may be the time framework of Joel. But this morning, I want to take uh, you on a journey in the theology of Joel. The theology 
of Job. What is this confidence that this prophet has in his God? Last week, uh, Saturday, we were driving back from Tulsa uh, late in the night. Um, this road, almost 80 to 100 miles, you're coming on 75 from Tulsa, it's pitch darkness. Hardly any vehicles that are flying by on the either side. And you are just trusting your instincts and your gut, you know, that it should be okay. And all the 17 years, my wife never asked me this question, but that night she asked me, what is your confidence in driving in this late night? Uh, as a pastor, you always want to give the first biblical answer, isn't it? Because who knows, it may be a trick question or not. <laughs> so I said, my confidence is in the Lord. Did I say that? Yeah, my confidence is in the Lord. Amen. Just double checking, you know. Uh, so always go with that, so it is fine, you know. You'll never go wrong. But then I said, I also have the confidence that even though this is a less traveled road for us, we haven't been on this road for too long, but one thing that uh, I can, I'm, I'm also confident is in the vehicle, the Toyota. You know, I, I know the company is pretty formidable. You know, it has a good track record. I mean, this vehicle, uh, you know, we have gone in this vehicle many places. You know, never stop in the middle of the road, you know, we had any issues like that. Because sometimes you would wonder, you know, what would happen if there's a tire burst. And there are so many animals that you see, like, you know, the deer and the raccoon and so many animals on the, on the side of the road that you see. And you just wonder, you know, what would happen? Because you're coming like at a speed of 85 to 90 uh, mile speed. And then you wonder what will happen if something jumps right in front of you. Um, so all those questions are there. Um, so then we decided, you know, when coupled with that, if there is lightning and thunder and rain, it could be more terrible. It'd be more terrible. But thanks be to God, God brought us back safely uh, last early morning, Saturday, Sunday morning. Uh, but the question kept ringing in my heart. What was my confidence? You know, one thing I trusted in the Lord is that God will bring us safely back. That is definitely uh, the confidence uh, in our heart. So as I, as I again, uh, rethinking on the book of Joel, I was thinking to ask, what is his confidence in this prophet? You know, we, we read the book of Joel, apart from the prophecy of two um, chapter 2, where we think about 28, 29, 30, you know, in the later days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That is one of those favorite passages that we find from the book of Joel, because you find a fulfillment of that in Acts chapter 2, when Peter would, you know, because he's, he's, he's so taken up in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit just illumines his heart, he has this epiphany right there, and he says, this is exactly what Joel prophesied. We get that passage very well. But beyond that, the book of Joel, sometimes we don't read because it is always more about what? Destruction, devastation. It's more about, you know, the calamities that are going to come, the locust invasion that is about to happen, or maybe a northern kingdom is going to come and serve God's people and so many of challenges. But then also there is hope. Because if you read through Joel 1, 2, and 3, a snapshot of the outline, chapter 1 is all about, he's talking about a locust invasion that happened in the near, in the near uh, uh, past. And he's drawing analogy from there that that locust uh, invasion that happened, the plague that happened, it kind of killed the people economically. It killed the people socially. It killed the people spiritually. But then he says there is, there is hope for God's people. We need to turn back to him. We need to come back to him. If you come back to him, chapter 2 says there is always a potential that one more plague can come or maybe, who knows, an invading army could be coming and they will totally serve God's people. They will remove them from there. But there is hope if you turn to me. That's why I was talking 
uh, on revival from chapter 2, verse 12. Yet now, the Lord says, if you turn back to me, rend your heart and come back to me, I will, I will bless you. Chapter 3 is a beautiful chapter because it talks about the restoration of God's people. It talks about the, how God is going to judge everyone in the valley of Jehoshaphat. You know, oftentimes we have read chapter 3 in the light of the great Armageddon battle that is going to take place. God willing, the last day, the last series uh, of this message would be October the 31st. We will talk about the day of the Lord. Uh, that's a key theme. So we spoke about revival. We spoke about repentance last week. And today, I just want to take you on a journey on the theology of, of Joel, theology of Joel. You know, through the ordeals that the people of God find themselves in, God was definitely, definitely play, you know, purifying his people, definitely purifying his people. The locust plague or the, or, the, or the coming northern kingdom that is going to come against God's people, God is saying that I'm going to bring them all so that I will have my way in you. Not your way, but my way in you. Sometimes, church, this is of truth that you and I need to realize is that some of the pain that you and I go through has a purpose. Some of the pain that you and I go through has a purpose. God is bringing about his purposes in our life, in, his, in our life. So, and Joel sees that Yahweh is actively involved, actively involved in restoring the economics as well as restoring the spirituality of God's people. So he's not just talking about that their economics will be changed. Their, their social conditions will be changed. Their, their, their land will bring forth its produce, will bring forth its yield. Their fields and their vineyards are going to come back to its pristine beauty. No, but you are going to bring back what? Offerings. You are going to bring back grain offerings, peace offerings into the house of God. And as you bring that, God will be pleased in your, in your offerings. So the joy and gladness that you seem to have lost right now is going to come back to you. God is going to restore back those things. So God uses all these all this situations to bring about uh, change. So who is this God of Joel? A couple of things that we want to sh uh, I want to take your attention this morning. Number one, he's a God who cares. He's a God who who cares? Chapter 2, verse 27. Would you turn to chapter 2, verse 27? And chapter 3, verse 17 onwards. We'll come, come back to that. Joel paints this beautiful portrayal of Yahweh as a God who cares for his people. A God who cares for his people. How do we know that God cares for his people? We need to just realize and understand who is his God. Who is his God? Verse 13, we already had the opportunity to look at that verse 13. He says, return to the Lord your God. Who is he? He is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. Abounding in steadfast love. You know the word again, coming back to the word uh, that he used there, steadfast love. Chesed is a Hebrew word which talks about God's continual love for his people, a love that never changes. Circumstances may change, but God's love never changes. That is the love of God that is so fixated with his covenant faithfulness to God. His covenant faithfulness to God. Throughout the scripture, especially in the Old Testament, you find this refrain coming again and again, that God's love is a never-ending love. Never-ending love. His, his love is abounding. His love is plentiful. There is no lack in the house of God. He's abounding 
is steadfast love. The entire history of the people of Israel reminds us that. You know, not only that, Psalm 39, if you read, Psalm 39 says, even the heavens and the earth were created by the steadfast love of God. So the steadfast love of God that even created the entire cosmos. What about you, people of Israel? God would remind them that I have created you. I have called you. I called your father Abraham. I called your father Isaac. I called your father Jacob. And then we thought for a moment that the, that salvation history that God began may have lost its track somewhere along the line. But God says, no, don't worry. I will call Moses and I will deliver you out of Egypt. Again, in the promised land, you may think that God's love has run out of, God's love, uh, steadfast love has failed them because what? They see con constantly armies coming against them. The northern kingdom is taken. The southern kingdom is taken. Northern kingdom is taken to Assyria. The southern kingdom is taken to Babylon. Where is God's love? But God says, no, I will bring you back. You thought in Psalm 137 we read, by the rivers of Babylon, we hung up our guitars, we hung up our tambourines, we hung up all our worship instrument, and we thought, this is the end of it. God's love has failed us. But God says, no, you are going to bring it back, and you are going to come back to the temple, and you are going to be celebrating my goodness. His love is an unfailing, unending love. Two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to share a small thought, a reflection, for Pastor Philip John's wife, Liji. And uh, as you know, as a church, we've been praying for dear sister. Many of in our church have gone and visited them during the seven years of ordeal. On the 29th of December, 2014, she was preparing tea for her husband when she fell down and they took her to the hospital. The doctors declared her dead on arrival. But somehow the nurses were there. Some of the nurses said, no, this is our pastor's wife. Please put her on ventilator. They put her on ventilator. Three months she was in ventilator. While she was in ventilator in the Reliance Hospital in Mumbai, me and Anita had the opportunity to go and visit them in the hospital. That was the first time I was meeting Pastor Philip John. But then over a period of seven years, we bonded well. Prayed together many times over the phone while we were there. So he asked me to share a few reflections. And I said, Lord... 10 minutes time he has given me. I don't want to take even 10 minutes because what I'm going to say, because till her death, while we were in Kerala in the month of August also, he called and he asked for prayers because that time her condition was very bad. Her BP was going low and low every single day. And, and he said, Pastor, I don't know even she's going to make it, but I have a great promise that God is going to come through for my wife. God is going to raise her up. I believe in that miracle. When a man of God is speaking like that, I said, okay, I stand with you. Let me, let me, let's pray together. And we pray together. But as we were praying, I sense in my spirit, she's not going to make it. I didn't say to him at that point, but after some time, I texted him and said, Pastor, this may be time for you to let her go. And before her death, a week before her death, he actually prayed and let her into God's will. And she died. So when he asked me, I said, Lord, what am I going to share? What am I going to speak? Because it's so hard. On the one hand, you see a man of God who believed in miracle, or the whole world has been praying for her for the last seven years. So many people had known. And since he's also, you know, uh, on a, in the official position of an assistant superintendent of the Assemblies of God in the Maharashtra state, so that way also because of his influence, a lot of people know him. And Andheri AG Church is that one church where a lot of nurses have come, and they are today in all parts of the world. So many of them know that and many of them are praying. What do I say? And the Holy Spirit just told me, you, he, the Holy Spirit just illumined on my heart. Go to 
Judges chapter 6. I said, what is that passage? Gideon's passage? Yeah, 6 chapter 12. Chapter 6 verse 12. Speak from there. I said, what I want to speak from there? Because there in the passage, Gideon says to the, whole, to, the, to the spirit of the Lord, to the angel, if the Lord has been with us, why these are things, things, things are? You know that passage, isn't it? If the Lord is with us, why these things are? Happen. On the other hand, the angel of the Lord is saying, he asked that question, but the angel of, did the angel of the Lord answer him the question? No. What did the angel of the Lord say? You mighty man of valor, go in this strength of yours. So I, I began to wrestle this with, that, with, that, with that passage again. Now I have preached from that passage. And we all have heard sermons from that passage. And I'm wrestling, you know, what would I speak, speak from this? The Holy Spirit just spoke to me. Just say two things. Number one, remember, there are things that have been revealed to us in the scripture about God. There are things that are revealed to us in the scripture about God. And scripture says he's all powerful. The scripture says that he's all wise. The scripture declares to us that he's good and he's faithful. Hold that dearly. But on the other hand, hold this also in a perfect tension that there is a mystery of God that we don't realize, we don't understand. That's the mystery of God that we don't realize and we don't understand. Hold them together. Because unless you hold them together, life can be difficult for you. Why in the prime of a young youth, somebody should be taken? Why should they die in that accidental death? We may not get the answer. And let me tell you, oftentimes we pastors may say to console people, when we reach heaven, we will get an answer. I'll tell you, when we reach heaven, we are not going to be bothered by asking the question because we will be overwhelmed by the presence in the, of the presence of the one who saved us. All our questions will be, all the answers will be met there. So there is no more question also there on the other side of eternity. Church, that's the reality of who we are as Christians. God, Lord, I understand your, your ways sometimes, but then there are times when I don't understand. So what I don't understand, I will not, I will not, I will not try to examine and try to give an explanation, but I will say, I will relegate it to the mystery of God and say, Lord, I don't understand it. It's okay for me not to understand it because you know. And yesterday when Rachel, uh, Sunil's sister, was speaking, she shared a quote from Spurgeon, which was so eloquently put together. And the quote was beautiful. Some of you who may have seen that, you, would have, you, you resonate with that. God is too good to be, to be unkind. And God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind and God is too wise to be mistaken. When we cannot trace his hands, we must trust his heart. When we cannot trace his hands, we must trust his heart. In the Bhagavad Gita, I have said that my Jesus, you are unchanging. You do not change. I may not get every details, but Lord, I understand. You are hard. You have the best in your heart for me, Lord. When it comes to me, Lord, you have the best in your heart. 
This morning, church, can I say, can I get an amen? Can I say a witness that say, Lord, yes, whatever thoughts you have for me, Lord, there's always plans to give me a future and a hope. Hallelujah. God's care for God's people. God's care for God's people. How do we know God's so careful? You know, what they have lost in that, in that sanctuary is joy and gladness. One of the things that always the people of Israel, if for this, for, to understand the background of the two passages that you find in, in chapter 1 and 2, that, you know, joy and gladness from the house of God has been cut off. Food has been cut off from the temple. Food has been cut off. You must read the background in Numbers chapter 28. In Numbers chapter 28, when you read, you begin to see that every day a grain offering is brought in the presence of God. Every day a grain offering is brought in the presence of God. And it is burnt on the altar. And as the... As the now, just think about it. If you have corn or if you have you know, wheat or whatever, barley or whatever, if it is burning on the altar, it's going to bring what? A beautiful aroma. It's going to bring a beautiful aroma. And as the beautiful aroma and the smoke rises from the altar, it not only permeates the temple, but it permeates the entire surrounding. And as it permeates the surrounding, people begin to understand that because God has given us grain offering, because he has given us all these fields, blessings of the field, we can worship God and God will be pleased to bless us in the next season also. He the people of Israel get this assurance God is in our midst and not only he has blessed the work of our hands in this season but God is going to bless us in the next season also but what has happened here because of the locust plague there is no offering to be brought to the temple there is no offering to be brought to the temple there is no pleasing aroma that is rising from the temple Joy and gladness have been gone. Worship should have been an equation to be rejoicing in God's presence. But no more. No more. It's becoming difficult. And therefore God is saying, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm going to change your circumstances. I'm going to change your circumstances. Verse 27, God is saying, you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. And that I am the Lord your God. And there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. I am in the midst of my people. That is the constant reminder to us. That God cares for us. That he is in our midst. He has not forgotten us. He has not abandoned us. He doesn't stay far away from us. But he is near us. In giving him new wine in giving them a new grain so that they can bring the grain offering they can bring the first fruits to God church sometimes when we begin to see when we, we are just trusting God for the small blessings and the small openings and the small breakthroughs he does it now this morning this week I got a text message from somebody they said you know when they got a job a few months ago they wanted to actually ask for a they wanted to actually ask them and they were given an offer is they wanted to give a counter offer to that. But then they said, maybe it's not the right time. Maybe it's not the right time. They just waited. They just waited. And even without them asking, this week they got an email from their, their boss saying that for the last few months we've been observing you and we have been actually, you know, making our reviews. And you know what? We're going to give you $5,000 more raise. I was actually 
thanking God and praising God. There was a time when they wanted to give, they wanted to give a counter offer, but here they said we would rather trust in God and wait on His timing, and they just waited in God's timing, and God just came through for them. God cares, church. This morning I want to I want to I want to reemphasize that because God is saying I will be in your midst. Don't worry. Don't worry, I will be in your midst. And you know, for Israel, that's the most important thing. The very temple would be that, that place which reminds them the God's presence. You know, that was one of, the, one of the things that they always took pride in. That we could never leave this land. God can never chase us out of this land because we are God's people. But when they had to go to Babylon, they realized one thing. That if we sin, God will take us back. Can take us away from this place. But if we turn back, he promises that I will be with you. I will be with you. And you know what? Verse 25 to 27 when you read. Chapter 2, verse 25 to 27. I will restore to you the ears. I will restore to you the ears. Whatever you have lost, I will restore that to you. This morning, church, I don't know what you may be thinking and you are waiting upon God. Maybe in your family, in your relationships, in your finances. I don't know. Maybe in your school. Sometimes you may be thinking, I've wasted so many years. And God this morning says, because I care for you, I want to say to you that I'm going to restore back to you. I'm going to restore back to you. You thought that there was a season that we were going through drought. There was a season of famine. But God says, I'm going to bring back to you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full. And you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again, my people will be ashamed. What does this mean for you and for me in the New Testament church? What does this mean for you and for me in the New Testament? Paul reminds this to us in Romans chapter 8, that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have entered into a new covenant with Jesus Christ, isn't it? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. And what does Romans chapter 8 verse 32 reminds? Romans 8 32. Romans 8 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? New covenant people. And if God says that I will restore back to you, how much more for us as a New Testament believer to trust in the Lord that if He gave His only begotten Son the greatest gift that He could give. How much more, how much more he's faithful to give us everything that we need. Church, God not only cares for us, he vindicates us. Verse, chapter 2, verse 23, God says, I will send you the early rain for your vindication. To vindicate you. God is a God who vindicates his people. In the history of God's people, God has oftentimes vindicated his people. Whenever they thought that the enemies will run over them, God says, I will stand up for my people and I will avenge them. And I will be there for my people. Joel says, my God vindicates. God is my protector. This morning, church, shall we close our eyes for a moment? Think about this. Who is God for you this morning? Joel says, for me, this Yahweh my name itself means Yahweh is Lord. For me, this Yahweh cares for his people. Yes, 
we have gone through some calamities. Yes, we have gone through some pain. Yes, we have gone through some agony. Yes, we have gone through some hard time. But I know for sure one thing. My God cares. He cares enough for me that he will restore me back. What I have lost. He will bring me back to joy and gladness in his presence. He will restore my worship unto him. He will restore my blessings unto me. He will restore his promises unto me. This morning church, are you waiting on God's promise? He promises that. He cares for you. He cares for you enough to restore back. He vindicates you and me. Where you and I became disgraced, my God says, I will vindicate my people. When Pharaoh thought, I will pursue them, I will plunder them, and I will kill them, God says, No, you cannot do it. They are my people. In the Bagal column, can you believe that your God is the one who vindicates you? Even Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8, who can condemn those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Who condemns them? Hallelujah. We have an intercessor in the right hand of Father who is interceding for you and for me. Jesus Christ is his name. Hallelujah. Father God, this morning, allow us to know, Lord, who you are for us so that we may be confident of God. Lord, like Joel was confident of God in God's protection, in God's provision, in God's vindication, in God's care. Lord, I pray this morning, each one of us sitting here would be confident in our God. Make us people who are confident of God. Let this be our confidence this morning. Shall we, shall we rise, church, as we worship God this morning? Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If there is anything we can do to continue equipping you in your pursuit to be like Jesus, then please do not hesitate to reach out to us on our website at metrochurch.us. Also, if you found today's message to be inspiring and informative, then please share it with your family and friends and leave a review on this podcast platform or on our website. Again, thank you for joining us. We are so grateful for you. Have a great week and God bless you and your family.